Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello out there. My name is Joe Armstrong, and you are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we have Mark Lane. Anyone who has ever tried to write a song or record an album knows the amount of work that goes into getting the seed of an idea from an artist's head onto tape and into the ears of fans. But the best music happens when all this work sounds effortless and the finished product sounds at once fresh and familiar. Los Angeles' musical fixture Mark Lane's sophomore record, Something New, accomplishes that sonorous dichotomy in spades. Lane is a pop craftsman and in his music his influences make their appearances known and then duck in and out of his deft arrangements as the whole thing pulls you forward. There may be hints of the Beach Boys and Elvis Costello and Elliott Smith in Lane's songs, but the record is aptly named. Something New sounds the way it does because Mark Lane played nearly every instrument on its 11 tracks. Maybe Lane is overachieving, but the result is a slice of pure pop genius. Welcome to Independence Day, Mark Lane. Thanks, Joe. I'm very happy. It's, it's, good, it's good to have you, and, but you're not alone. We've got some other people here. Let me introduce the rest of the members of your band yes, here. That's, the band plays under your name, but that's, you're by far alone here, your uh, brothers in arms. We have on uh, electric guitar, Mr. Michael Hayes. Say hello, Michael. Hi there. Good to have you as well. On drums, we have Joey Galvin. Hello. All right, on the drum set. I always loved your drum set. Reminds me of John Bonham's. It's that big kick drum. <laughs> uh, anyways, and we have uh, Jin Su Lim on electric guitar. And he plays a matchless amplifier, which means I like him right off the bat. <laughs> like you too. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Mutual Admiration Society. Correct. So you guys, you know, um, you've got this new record, and it's called Something New. I, I love the art, too. People can't see it, but we'll try to put a picture of it up on the website. It's very simple. Yeah. Um, and this is your sophomore record. It and is. what... Like what makes this different from the first one? Well, um, there's a couple things that make it different. <clears throat> I would say that uh, the first one actually started out, um, I, I did a handful of songs uh, with my friend Jason Faulkner, and um, he at the time had just got an opportunity to tour with the band Air, so he wasn't really able to stick around and finish the record. I subsequently was building a studio in my place at the time. So I decided just to finish uh, the remainder of the recording of the record. And that's what my first record wound up being. It's called Golden State of Mind. Um, I felt like um, that turned out really good and everything, and it was well-received, but I felt like I wanted to do something that was just a little bit broader of a scope. Um, And obviously, if you've listened to the record, uh, it's got a lot of different sound textures on it. So I wanted to do something that was almost kind of like a sound painting in a way. Um, You know, it's like there's many different ways that you can make a record. um, And I'm totally into the idea of making a record with a band in a room and everyone knows the song is going in and you just hit play and you record and that's really cool. This is not what that is. (laughs) You know, but... um, But, you know, like I said, it's it's, the way I approached it, it's kind of like a sound painting and it's just... It's got a lot of different sound textures on it, and um, the idea was to um, take that idea um, to the extent of how far I could take it and still hopefully make it sound like it was a band and not just like some guy that was tweaking knobs in a bedroom, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give people a listen to this right off the bat, because it's such an interesting, you're right, this like soundscape, like the way this was, like when I listened to the record, like the word that came to my mind over and over and over again was craft. 
Mm-hmm. Like this is a very, very crafted record. And I, when, when we come back after the song, I want to talk about that process a little bit. Like Certainly. What your choices were and why. Um, but first, I want people to hear what it's all, what it's, what's called, or what it's, well, that's what it's called, what it sounds like. This is the track. It's the first track. It opens the record. It's called For Whom It Concerns. Uh, the artist is Mark Lane. The album is Something New. I'm Joe Armstrong. This is Independence Day. Let's roll with this. Here's how it starts The beating of hearts The rhythm that's surely to rise Yes, here's how it goes The ebbs and the throws Of ecstasy's final surprise It's not what you guess It garnered no press Crestfallen anthem sung around in the turns A daft melody as offered to thee For whom it concerns Here's where it beats The trumpets and reeds A fanfare Lane on Independence Day. Absolutely beautiful, man. So well crafted. 
We touched on this before. Uh, the record, well, the record, something new. Artist Mark Lane, like I said. I'm Joe Armstrong. You're listening to Independence Day. Very, very happy to have these guys in here. Excellent musicians, good human beings, at least as far as I can tell. So far, so good. Um, the the craft of this record, like you did something with this record that not a lot of people are even capable of doing. And it's such an interesting artistic choice because like you referenced this before, before the track, you played essentially all the instruments yourself mm-hmm. yeah. on this album. And w- why that choice for this record? You know, actually going into it, my intention was to have a lot of guest musicians play on the record. Um, I certainly was not opposed to the idea. It's just like... The whole way the the recording process of this record started was I was trying to go for ideas that I hadn't explored yet. So I was taking random pieces of ideas that weren't even fleshed out songs yet. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'll make a template out of this and kind of start riffing around it and improvising until new ideas would come about. And, you know, it's like a lot of that choice that you're talking about was just like, what am I going to do? Like call up, you know, people to come over and say, "All right, here's this idea for a song." Like, do you have all day to spend hanging out? You know, like you know how people, you know, are really busy in LA. So sometimes even just coordinating time to get together yeah, with yeah. people is like challenging. You know, so I was fortunate in the sense that you know I have, you know, all these instruments at my disposal. I have the ways and means to do it, and you know, I had at least enough capability within my own self to execute the ideas to. You know, whatever. It's like there's certainly people that can play, you know, any of these instruments probably better than I can. But really, that's not the point. You know, it's just like I just was trying to like, you know, extrapolate on the ideas as they were coming to me. You know, and a lot of it was just happening spontaneously. Well, you're definitely no slouch on all these different instruments because, and it shows through. Like, you know, a a trained ear. You know, I feel like you. I've listened to records people have done where one person has done the whole record. And it's obvious that they're like, okay, well, they're hacking at the banjo mm-hmm. or they're, they're playing whatever, you know, kind of haphazardly. Right. And sometimes that's part of what they're doing and that's cool. Sure. But like with yours, I, I'm going to come back to this word craft again. Like it was, it's, it seems so well crafted and polished, not like Steely Dan over polished. Right. But it's like, it's put together in a way that's extremely pleasing. Like it sounds fresh and familiar, Thanks. which I think is, it's a challenge and you hit the sweet spot, I think. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, the one thing I will say <clears throat> about the process was that I felt really strongly about keeping the integrity of the performances. Yeah. So I, I don't re- I don't have the type of temperament. I mean, first of all, I'll make a disclaimer and say that producing yourself in an, in and of itself is just a nightmare because you know, you, like at a certain point, you have to have a level of objectivity about what you're doing, and it's like I, I don't really have that. <laughs> would you bounce mixes off of people, like as you were going through stuff? Yeah, I would bounce ideas off different people, but you know, the the thing that was really important to me, like I said, was retaining the integrity of the performances, and a lot of that just stems from the fact that I didn't want to be sitting in front of a computer screen, like auditioning, you know, takes of performances that I did and trying to piecemeal something together, like by editing, by an editing right. process. I would just, I'd rather play a guitar for three hours until I play something that I like than like play for an hour and then spend three hours like manipulating yeah. it on a Pro Tools grid, you know? Yeah. So that was a little bit about, I think, why the record sounds at least the way it does. And if you're using the word crafted, it's, it's, because I would improvise and play parts, and then I'd be like, okay, I would find motifs, and ultimately I would come up with parts that I think were, at least in my estimation, they were 
crafted for the song. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's, it's a wide scope, and and that's a again that's a really cool thing. Like there's there's shades of different people. I referenced this before. A little bit of Elvis Costello here, a little bit of Beach Boys there, a little bit of Elliot Smith here or there, but it I mean it it really takes on its own thing. You know, like it definitely harkens back to those albums. Like when I listen to Pet Sounds, when I listen to all these albums that are other albums when I consider that are really crafted. Right. Yeah. You know, but I feel like they put a lot of thought and a lot of time yeah. into them, and it shows because it because it that can get bogged down. Yeah. But yours doesn't. It's still light and it bounces along. So I love all know. kinds of music, but I, I would I would definitely say that you know I spent countless hours like listening to yeah. records like you know pet sounds and being like oh my god <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. really like breaking that down you know yeah yeah so I, I definitely have an appreciation for you know like not only the song craft you know but the craft of arrangements you know yeah. people like Van Dyke Parks you yeah. know people that really like had really powerful ideas and ways and means of like making songs come to life in a way that you haven't heard yet you right know? so and in a way it goes back to the beatles too because it seems like they were the progenitors of using the studio as a tool oh most definitely to do that you know and it's like yeah. they influence people like the other bands that i'm listing here you know i mean i, I the, there's people debate back and forth whether or not pet sounds was influenced by the beatles or if sergeant pepper was influenced by pet sounds or whatever but exactly they all knew what they were doing but i mean it was just great stuff either way yeah, I mean, I've definitely listening to records like Revolver, you know, and and I've read interviews with like Jeff Emmerich, their their engineer, and it's like, I mean, that was really unheard of at the time. You Have know? you seen that Beatles Sessions book? Uh, I have it. It goes, <laughs> it's out of print. Like yeah. I, I loaned it to somebody, and I, I just got it back not too long ago. Like anybody out there who loves the Beatles, like find this book. It's like the size of an album cover. Yeah. <laughs> it's about about five eighths of an inch thick, and it's every single recording session exactly. that the Beatles ever did. What they did on that session, like what instruments they played. It goes to down to like the most minute details. The I've kind of marveled at like how that, in, how the integrity of that information was kept intact. Yeah. I mean, I guess this guy named I think it's Mark Lewison wrote that. I uh, think so. Yeah, or he at least did the book, but. Uh, yeah, I was kind of amazed that like they had such a detailed, uh, you yeah. know, log of all the events that happened in Abbey Road yeah. when the Beatles were there. But that just goes so to show cool. you how, you know, how influential they were, yeah. you know, as as people. Yeah, find a book on eBay, man, or find a copy of that book. It's fantastic. But let's get these other guys involved in here just a little bit. Like the next, I'm going to start off with you, Mark. But then I want to kind of cycle through everyone else here. Why these guys? Like you made the record yourself, and like I, maybe we'll start with them first. Like any one of you guys can chime in here. So grab a mic and grab grab the thing here. Um, like you tell me last why it was them. But like from them, I want to hear. You've made this record yourself. You played all these instruments. What is it like for you guys to then approach an album made by a guy who did every single part, like the drums, the bass, Glockenspiel, every little thing? Like why don't we start with you, Joey? Um. I don't know. I, it took me a, a long time to hear Mark's stuff. I heard about it from everybody else. Um, and, you know, everybody was telling me, oh, um, you, you know, Mark's band, The Larks, they, they were all doing solo stuff. And, and I was listening to it and playing in different incarnations of, of that band just on their solo stuff. And it took me a while to hear it. And so it was all pumped up, you know, before I heard it. Because I already knew that he was a. I know he can play bass really well, but and and when I heard the record the first time, I was very surprised at how well he can play the other instruments yeah. as well. So the drum parts are really cool. So right away, you know, I wanted I wanted to play it. I knew he was going to need to yeah. put together a 
you know a band to play this stuff live yeah. and and the you know the parts are cool because they yeah. are crafted and yeah. they they fit they fit the the song like a glove i mean yeah it's um they're very carefully you know articulated drum parts yeah what did you learn that could you as you're an accomplished drummer yourself i mean you've played yeah. in countless bands yeah. you're a great drummer i've always respected your work what what did you must have learned something from what he was doing i i just whenever i hear songwriters play drums i'm um i'm envious because um there's something that happens that i don't i don't have because i go in and hear a song after it's done but there's you know stevie wonder and you know there's just I, I, there's something that that you get from from playing other instruments and writing songs and then you play a drum part that i just i normally wouldn't hear and yeah so i try to learn things like that i i try to like when i when i'm playing on other stuff now i try to approach it more like yeah. a songwriter than instead of like you know a side guy yeah yeah just covering the big bases. ears you gotta have big ears yeah. you know and it's and I've, I've learned like songwriting producing like a lot of it is like it's it's leaving off what shouldn't be there rather than adding stuff yeah it's like a subtractive yeah. art it's like sculpting you know, it's like they ask a great sculptor, like, what they did. Like, they took a piece of wood or <laughs> rock. They just took away what wasn't supposed to be there. You know, and I kind of like that metaphor for this. And how about you, Jinsu, electric guitar here? Like, what, you know, what is it that you learned from this process? And what, what from playing a record, like, what was challenging about playing a record from with a guy who did all the parts? It's an interesting story. I mean, you know, what, what was the band that you had way back in the... Previous lifetime, the Hoodwinks. Yeah. Yeah. You guys go back a ways, I understand. Mark and I had known each other. I don't even know, like maybe fourteen or fifteen years. Yeah. And um, I used to go and see Mark Lane shows and uh, listen to the band. And you know, one of the things that struck me was that he does have these really crafted songs, and he was using chord um, progressions that maybe not. Not the typical stuff. And unfortunately, you know, in my estimation, some of the bands that he had before, I don't think they were up to the task. Yeah. So, you know, I've been playing with a lot of our common friends, guys like uh, Chris Joyner and Jason Hiller and people from that um, era. And um, I was also playing um, with Macy Gray at the time. And so when I went to, to Mark, I just said to him, why don't we sit down with two guitars why don't you show me exactly what it is that you're looking for in terms of guitar playing, and then we'll build the band around that. And so we would just woodshed for hours at his, uh, at his place in Los Feliz, and then we incorporated the drummer, and um, I think at the time Mark was playing uh, acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Jason Hill was playing bass. Chris Joyner was playing uh, keyboards. And all those guys have gone on to do all kinds of really interesting things with other people. But... Um, that was the fun part. And then every time Mark has uh, ever decided that he wanted to play a show, he's kept me around to play guitars. So, But this particular record, I mean, you know, the, the germination, a lot of these songs has been going on for, for quite a while. So it was really, really, for me, when I finally heard the, the, the mixes, it was, uh, it was really, <laughs> it was an aha moment. Yeah. yeah. Were there any licks that you couldn't get and you had to go to him? Because there's this famous story about... Um, uh, drummer, Bruce Springsteen's drummer, Max Weinberg, there's a fill from Born to Run that he doesn't play because it was a different drummer. It was like this jazz drummer. It's the tsk, 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 one of those little fills that he does. And there's a famous interview with him where he talks about like Max Weinberg flat out admits, I can't play that fill. So they show a cut, they play a cut of the record and then they cut to the Springsteen band <laughs> playing it live. 
and Max just doesn't even play the fill. He just omits it entirely. You is know there... what the funny thing is? <laughs> is that I know yeah. what fill you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here in my mind. So in your, was there anything like? Did you have to go to him and say like, what in God's name are you playing there? Was there well, any moment like that? So this is Jinsu again. I, you know, for me, it was never really the licks themselves. It was actually understanding Mark's intention with the chord progressions and okay. how how those chords work together. And it's really, you know, if you really sit down and deconstruct these songs, they're a joy to play by themselves just on one instrument. And there's something really, you know, profound about that. Um, I make slightly different choices because the live show can never really be what, right. what the recording is. And I think with this group of people, it's like we have a lean, mean kind of guerrilla, you know, kind of warfare uh, approach to the songs. But if you listen to the album... There's so many layers. It's really dense and rich. And, uh, you know, I don't think that it would be really possible as a four-piece to replicate what's on the record. Yeah. So. Well, the, for the for the reunion tour, you'll be doing it with the London Symphonic Orchestra <laughs> with all the parts re- represented. And let's turn to Michael now, Mr. Hayes. Now, you, you're unique because you've played with Mark. I mean, I've seen you guys play together more together more often than not. Like, what, how did you approach your friend's music when it came from switching from, like, the old band, The Larks, to, like, doing his stuff as a solo band with him? Like, what was different for you? Well, when I was introduced to Mark, I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I was aware of his music, and that was part of the reason why he was recruited for The Larks, because we enjoyed his songwriting sensibilities. And um, so we had been friends for a while, and... Um, and and entertain the possibility of you know eventually performing these songs and had gotten together a good bit apart from the larks and just played guitars and i'm into harmony and chords and so and mark had everything developed and all these ideas you know for the voicings and everything so i just took those and and kind of you know put a little spin on them here and there. Yeah. So it was all it was it was fun. It was already it was there. It was just yeah. it was mine for the taking. So. It's sometimes like it seems like uh, I'm getting the impression we're going to hear you guys play live here in just a few minutes. But I get the impression that you guys you, when you came, come in this band and can, correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of check your egos at the door because you're you're here to serve what he's doing and what he's created are some really great songs, some really well arranged songs. So you show up and you just kind of. It, it takes like the work away from what you're doing. Like you can just kind of enjoy, re, re, you know, replicating like a live version of these already really crafted songs. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just uh, we can add a little dash of personality here. Yeah. And, uh, I play with attitude. Want, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's Joey talking over there. That's uh, China Splash over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the flaming gong. We'll save that for the we'll save that for the encore. Well, well this is Jinsu again. I, I really think that to the question you were asking about crafting the record and my, uh, Mark making the record by himself, being the multi instrumentalist, it's kind of like all those parts serve the song. And I think it's a really hard thing to do is to put together a band where, like you say, people can check their egos and play really, really specific parts in service of you know, a greater good, which, which is, you know, the song and not so right. much my guitar sound or whatever it is. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Mark, this, I want this answer to be short because I really want to get you guys to be playing. Sure. But now it's for the reverse, you know, I know that you kind of know these guys, but is that why, I mean, is it, why them? Why this group of guys? Well, I mean, you know, it's certainly part of it. I mean, you know, but it's like, I've had the privilege and luxury of playing with tons of different musicians, uh, in this city, you know, and, um, these are I'm, this is my favorite group of guys. I mean, you know, there's something about when you play music in a band. Sometimes it isn't always about like 
whether this person's better at this or better at that. Sometimes it's just a combination of personalities. And, um, you know, when we're playing together, it's like the vibe is always light, but it's still professional and it's focused. And, you know, as everyone has mentioned, I mean, we've all known each other in different contexts. You know, Joey and I have played together in at least three or four other things, you know, before even Joey was involved in doing this with me. You know, we always had a great time playing together. Yeah. You know, Jinsu, um, before, you know, I was playing with either Michael or Joey, I mean, was basically like my right-hand man. You know, it's like he was saying, he'd come over, we'd spend an afternoon drinking coffee and playing guitar, and then the next thing you know, we had a band together, we're playing out, and, you know, Jinsu was always the guy that I was going to to bounce my ideas off of, you know. And then, you know, meeting Michael when he finally moved here and we started the band The Larks together, um, you know, we developed a really great friendship. And, you know, I think... um, I think things like friendship and camaraderie sometimes are transcendent of the music because those things are imparted in in the ceremony and that makes the music more valuable. You yeah. know what I mean? I really like that you referenced the word ceremony because it is it's kind of a communal ceremonial thing. When yeah, you make definitely. Music. It's a living art. I love it. Different. That's what's different about sculpture. Like I feel like with a sculpture or a painting, unless you're doing some kind of avant-garde thing, like when you're done, you're done. You put down the chisel, and there right. it is. That's right. what it will always be. Music is living, changing, growing. You create your album, right, sure, it may be done. But every time you go play, it might be a little different. Joey might play a ghost hit where he didn't before, and that right. inspires you to do something different. So, Well, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's absolutely correct in saying that, you know, uh, you know I think as Jinsu was saying, you know, or everyone's kind of referenced in their own way, the whole point is, like, not trying to make it even sound like the record. It's like, it's... There's like little ideas in the record, arrangement-wise or whatever, and those are like the, the germs, you know, like the germination ideas. Those are the, the key yeah. points. Let's just focus on that and, you know, play these songs in a way that, you know, we know it's not going to sound like the record, but that's that's what's cool about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's that and now there's this, and, yeah. and that's cool because it's a whole different thing. It's a living, breathing thing. Exactly. And in, in light of that, let's hear what this living, breathing thing sounds like. All you right. guys about ready here? Yeah. Tell me, tell me what this song's going to be here. We're going to play a song called Matter of Time. <clears throat> this is uh, the second song in the record, and um, I, I released this song uh, a couple weeks before the record came out as a, a digital single. Um, and uh, it is available on iTunes. I, a, as a side note, Joe, you might be interested to know, I, I, in, I spent maybe like at, n- near the completion of this record, I spent like you know a day or a day and a half... Um, just doing a quick version of uh, I Want to Tell You, which is the George Harrison song on the, on the Beatles' Revolver that I love so much. So that's the, that's the B-side of the Matter of Time single, the song we're cool. about to play. So um, I, don't, I don't know why I felt like mentioning that. I just, no, I love it. I it, love turned out, it turned out really fun, and it was done so quickly in comparison to the rest of this that yeah. I had to throw that out there. So All right, so let's do this. Mark Lane and his band here on Independence Day. It's never felt so right before this time 
Hey, I'm very happy to have you guys listening. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. It's a show I bring you every single week, bring you some of the best musicians in Los Angeles and uh, from far beyond, far afield. Tonight, very, very happy to have Mark Lane and his band. They're excellent musicians, and like I said before, good human beings, so far so good at least. Uh, That was a great song, very, very well crafted. It translates very well to the live setting, I think. Thanks, yeah. It's it's a fun one to play, for sure. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about is you played all the instruments on this record, so when you play live... Why did you choose to stick to bass? Well, gosh, um, that's an interesting question. I kind of feel like the bass playing, um, I mean, I feel like everything on the record is kind of specific, but for some reason I just feel like I have a, a, a like basically what it boils down to is regardless of what the parts are, like the actual parts, I feel like, the most important element in the music to me is the feel. Um, it's like you can get obsessive about like chord changes, uh, chord changes and voicings, and I'm not saying all that stuff isn't important, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's kind of like about just how it feels and the feeling behind it. And I don't know something about playing bass. It feels like it's it's a good way that I can kind of retain some of the feel because okay. i i feel like you know my approach to bass playing is um you know it, it's it's kind of its own specific thing <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. it's like I, sometimes you know find this person to play this find this person to play that if i think in my mind of you know who is out there i mean there's plenty of good bass players in town but um it just feels like when I play the parts of these songs, it it feels very intrinsic to what yeah. the songs are. For some I think I also think I think it's easier to find a good guitar player than it is to find a good bass player. Yeah, you know, it's almost like you're you're saving yourself some trouble because a lot of guitar, a lot of bass players I know, or a lot of the bad bass players are like frustrated guitar players. Yeah, and they don't play like bass players. Well, I've you know I, the one thing I will say is that you know I I've played a guitar and sang you know in so many different contexts and you know, strumming a guitar and singing a song is like, it got to a point where it's almost like second nature for me. Yeah. And, and, um, the need to play bass was kind of like born out of a necessity, you know? And, uh, it's interesting because it's, it's a little counterintuitive. It's, it's a linear instrument and singing is linear. So a lot of times I feel like I'm doing two things that are counterintuitive to one another. Um, you know, like the, you know, rubbing your belly and patting yeah. your head thing, but um, but it's challenging and it's fun and I like it and I like, I love the feeling of the low frequency yeah. of the bass. There's something kind of, uh, you know, I'm yeah. into it. <laughs> of all the instruments to like to sing and play simultaneously, I find bass to be the hardest. 
Like it's easier for me to play accordion and sing than it is to play bass and sing. That's really saying something. I picked up an accordion once and I put it down immediately. <laughs> yeah. The only instrument more complicated than that is uh, pedal steel guitar, which as far as I'm concerned has got to be the most complicated instrument I've ever I've Yeah, ever that's heard. another one I, I never wrapped my mind around. I and think Jinsu's dabbled around with that. And then Hammond organ, if played properly, because it's so much more than just the notes. Yeah. The draw bars and the, the, the key click and the volume swells and the swoops and the Leslie, and it's like this whole otherworldly oh, instrument. Oh, no, I, yeah, there's a lot of Hammond stuff on this record and those were some of the most challenging bits to accomplish Do you have a real b3 in your world yeah what's well, not a b3 it's a or a, or it's, a real yeah, tone it's an, wheel it's organ a, it's an l it's an l series hammond okay. um in your house yeah that's really with, cool. a, with a leslie i have a really cool keyboard technician that you know has come over and helped me out a little bit he kind of you know recapped and you know put a couple of different parts in the organ to service it and uh one of the things he did was he built me uh, a handy dandy preamp box that gives me the ability to plug other instruments into the Leslie yeah, speaker, yeah. like you know, electric guitars and whatnot. So there's a little bit of that kind of fun flavor on yeah. the recording as well. Some of my favorite instruments: accordions, Hammond organs, pedal steel guitar. Yeah, you know, that's that's the stuff. That's the good. The, the good. I don't want to call it sweetening because that's like such a pat term for the industry, but it's like that's the best stuff to make your music cool. Well, it definitely definitely adds color for sure. Yeah. So anyway, how about another tune? Sure. Tell me what's this going to be. Uh, we're going to play a song called Little Things. All right, cool. So this is the band. Well, it's not a band. It's a man and a band. It's Mark Lane. Uh, and he's with him. He's got uh, Michael Hayes. He's got Jin Su Lim and Joey Galvin. And they're about to play another tune for us. We're very happy to have them in our studio here at Independence Day. <laughs> seem too important Some little things That made me ask what the time went Some little things I never seem to really notice Till it took me by surprise it seems it's like the little things keep opening up your eyes Some little things I always hoped I'd get to tell you Some little things I never got around to say Forever, so I'll have my chance one day. Although it seems it's like the little things keep getting in the way. Mm-hmm. 
my troubles disappear It's the little things That make me wonder Just how much on you My life depends Little things Little things just seem to make The biggest difference in the end I love Lane, once again, here on Independence Day. That was excellent. Good, good work. And that's a track also available on the new record, Something New. is, is Everything you're playing so far is from the new record, right? Yeah, it is. Do you guys um, dig back into your old, uh, your first record when you guys play out? Um, mostly, you know, we've been focusing on, on stuff from this record. We, we are doing um, one song from the last record in, in the live set recently, uh, the song Girl with the Clouds. Um, kind of playing that song Two as an opener more. because... Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like it, it feels like a good song to kind of find your feet under you with. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this, this, is, this is Jensu. Actually, you're doing a song called Her, which is a, a barn burner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's like, uh, what is it? Who's next era who? Yeah. And how disparate from the first record are these tunes? Like, do they, are there just a few tunes from the last record that kind of fit in with this new set? Or are they, I mean, it's all you. I mean, yeah. What? I don't know. You know, I feel like, I feel like, the last record had kind of, it just kind of wound up with a, a kind of like real kind of sun-drenched California pop disposition. And, you know, I certainly feel like being from California and kind of, you know, being proud of that lineage, I, I feel like there's a lot of that that's imparted in my music in general and certainly some of that on this. But I just feel like um, this album probably draws from a little bit of a broader kind of sonic palette and a broader kind of uh, musical palette, yeah. it, you know, as it were. Yeah, it's and this is just a, like a, a house-cleaning question, but I'm curious. Um, you, having played all the instruments on the record, how many in- different instruments did you play? Can you list them off? Well, certainly on each song, um, on pretty much every one you can hear, uh, you know, drums, bass, um, and any variety of acoustic and electric guitars. Um, uh, I have a couple, you know, different amps and electric guitar setups that I like to use, and I have nylon string and acoustic string guitars, so certainly those. Um, Upright piano, a Hammond organ, as we referenced earlier. Um, I have a Wurlitzer electric piano that's featured on the record on some stuff. And then I also kind of did some synthesizer treatments for some stuff, like... uh, Getting into analog synth sounds, um, some Moog stuff. There's like a Mellotron part on uh, one of the songs. And then um, for a couple of the songs, I wound up doing quartet string arrangements that I scored on synthesizer using string samples. Um, But those, I actually handed uh, those parts over to an orchestrator and had charts written, and I actually had real players come in and play those parts down, yeah. real string players. That's fun. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and on my last record, I wound up with a, like an 18 or 20-piece string section that was played by two people. Wow. 
you know, but it sounds so cool. Yeah. He scored out five different parts, like three violin parts. Well, actually, I'm sorry, two violin parts and then two cello parts and a bass part, which is actually Wanda being played by a cello because it was low enough the register fit. Right. And boy, when you get all that stuff mixed together, like you solo those tracks, that's a rush when you hear your music played by a string. Actually, I, I will admit, like the first the first string arrangement that I heard just the mix of just the string arrangement by itself played back, I was kind of like, it kind of blew my hair back a little bit. Yeah, because I was kind of really like, cool feeling. I was kind of like, wow, like you know, I came up with these parts and hearing them all flowing yeah. together and like, and that it's like a legitimate set of instruments. Like, not that rock and roll is not legitimate, but like it's classical, like legit. And you hear a string quartet doing it, it kind of makes you feel like you're kind of a grown up somehow. It's, musically, it's funny too, because like you know, my experience is like string players are different than than like rock players like we are or, or jazz players you know it's like you know we we all talk in a language of like hey man you know can you can you lay back on the beat or you know can we yeah. play this half step up or you know you can't talk like that the string players they need like to know mezzo forte and when the crescendo is exactly yeah so exactly everything had to be spelled out on paper and like yeah. you can't say oh hey can you kind of bend up to that note or you know it's like <laughs> yeah everything is like a foreign code you know yeah. everything is like so proper in, in like the world of, yeah, of yeah, string yeah. players you know that's great it's great <laughs> so let's let's turn let's shift gears just a little bit you know i mean you've got some cd available but like how how are you getting this music to listeners in 2012 halfway through 2012 well i mean that's 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 the million dollar question i mean now that we're in the brave new world of uh do-it-yourself music um you know you certainly can have a great product um and i don't even like to think of this record as a product because i made it kind of more or less as a piece of art to me and i Tried not to concern myself with like what what yeah. what its market marketability well, was. Per commerce se. is part of music, though. But you then, it, you, but the, see, the interesting thing is, then you get done doing something like this and spending the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours that you spend like fabricating it or making it or whatever, and then you realize, well, wow, you know, I spent all this time doing this. I might as well try and expose it to some people, you know. So I was. Um, connected to a digital distribution, kind of like a digital label, uh, as it were, uh, through my last recording, and I contacted them, and they put the record out through all the digital media streams, so obviously it's available on iTunes and Amazon and all that stuff. And, um, you know, right after, right after my record went through their pipe, basically, they got bought out by this larger subsidiary that I guess is owned by part of Sony. So, unfortunately, a lot of the people that were there that were excited about the record that wanted to actually do something to help me promote it all got laid off from their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But so there's some guy drinking coffee in Starbucks all day because he can't afford to go home for free air conditioning. Right. And, or, you know, for, to pay for the air conditioning. And he loves your record, but he can't do anything about it. Pretty much, yeah. But, you know, but it's cool. You know, I've been working with um, uh, a really wonderful woman uh, that I came in contact with who does some PR and publicity services. And she's, um, you know, been exposing it to some people. Um, have a couple of music supervisors that I keep tabs with. So I think now, you know, the, the important thing is, is um, to try and find the, the proper mediums for it to flourish in the world. Yeah. And, you know. and there's so many of them there were before, whereas once you'd never want to get your record on a commercial. Now, that's how people hear about music sometimes now. It's, it's crazy to think, man. It's like all, just all this stuff, you know, the way people consume music now even just in the last five years it is a whole different thing i mean now it's like you hear about people it's like the thing that is driving music sales is like how many people are going to youtube and watching a video which makes sense because 
Yeah. You know, if you harken back to the area of the era of MTV, it's like somebody was just telling me the other day about the, like the Guns N' Roses thing about how they wouldn't play the Welcome to the Jungle video, and then one somebody at MTV played it one night on the late night hour or whatever, and a bunch of people responded to it, and next thing you know, and then they have this yeah. huge. Next blow thing you up. know, we've twenty years later, we've got Axl Rose to contend with. Right, but now, now it's all through YouTube, and it's all do it yourself. So yeah. you know, I mean. It's kind of the blessing and the curse because, you know, you, you have all this, you have the ways and means available to you, but you also don't want to be like the person, at least I don't, who's like, hey, check it out. I'm, I'm you know, the advertiser of my right. music. <laughs> yeah, you have to be everything now. And like the, like the, the, the self-promotion thing is such a big part of it. And if you're an artist, like I, I perceive myself to be when you're making the record, it's like I, I never got into this to be an A&R guy. I never got into this to be a promoter. I never got into this to do these other things. But now you have to be. You almost have no choice. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there's really no one, at least in my estimation, that's in the music industry that, um, you know, it's like they're going to want to just take something, you know, and present it to the world without, you know, you actually having to put a lot of work into it yourself. So, you know, it's just it is the way it is. So, yeah. you know, you go out, you play shows, you try and turn people on to it, you know, and you, you know, my thing is, is like I don't really care about what's popular because a lot of what I hear that's popular, I don't particularly care for. I don't really like a lot of pop culture stuff. So my thing is like, you know. Find cool people on this earth that are intelligent, that, you know, have, you know, real emotions that care about the state of the world. And hopefully they'll appreciate this music. And, yeah. you know, that's all it is. Yeah. Let's hear what that sounds like. How about another tune? Sure. All right. What's this going to be? Uh, this is going to be called Something New. And that is the title track. The title track. track. Yeah. Oh, I love it. All right. Cool. This is uh, Mark Lane and his band playing the title track from his brand new record, Something New, here on Independence Day.
more Mark Lane and his band here on Independence Day. We're going to have them stick around and do one more song here in just a few minutes here before we get all wrapped up tonight. But I want to talk about just a couple more things real quick before we go. Um, and this line is so blurry now in, in 2012. Things are, the, the way things have changed so much. Like, what, I mean, to what extent is everybody in this room, uh, f- like music, making a living at this, like full time? Like, the, those lines are blurry. Every band's a little different. Like, like I know Sean Hoffman, the friend of ours, we've had him in here. Right. Like, he does, he actually makes a living at doing this. And, but it's not, it's not band stuff. He's doing commercial stuff too. Like, what about you guys? What, what's the story here? Well, I mean, I think all of us have other ways of, uh, you know, supporting ourselves other than music. Um, for me personally, um, I am able to make some money doing music, but I, I also feel like I've talked to a lot of guys who who do this professionally for a living, and I think I think the downfall is that, you know, unless you're in a really, really fortunate position, and I know a couple of people that are, um, who can kind of cherry pick and hand choose projects that they do and or be completely a- autonomous and successful in what they're doing. Um, I, I kind of feel like, you know, the people who aren't that fortunate, they have to wind up doing a lot of projects, you know, like yeah. either on spec or they, have, or they have to do projects as work for hire that they're really not that into. I, I can say for me personally, like I would rather, um, I would rather do music that I care about even if it means that I have to go do something else, you know, yeah. 25, 30, 40 hours a week, whatever, however much time it takes me to, to afford a living. I, I never wanted to have music be something that I do because like, oh, this is something that I, you know, I didn't want music to be something like I dread doing. Like I want it to be, you know, something that's done for pure enjoyment and as an art form. And obviously there are viable ways to make money at it. But, um, most of those situations now depend on, uh, you know, licensing opportunities and, and other things of that nature. So, okay. Yeah. So you're doing other types of music for money is what you're saying? Um, at the moment I'm only focusing on this. I mean, this is, this is my primary thing okay. right now. Um, you know, I, like I said, I have a couple of music supervisors that I've been talking to that are pitching it for various things. Um, but right now this is the only thing I'm, I'm focusing on. Yeah. How about the rest of you guys? You know, like to what extent are we making a living doing music in this room? Uh, this is Michael speaking. I I choose to work in music-related stuff, which means I teach. I teach lessons at two different music schools. I'd call that music. And I am an accordion technician. I work at, at Dave's. <laughs> really? I'm serious. No, I work, wow, that's I incredible. Love accordions. I had no yeah, idea. You I did work that. at Dave's Accordion in Atwater. Yeah. It's like the only accordion yeah. like place like I've taken on the my West own Coast. accordions to Dave's accordion shop to have them looked at south of San Francisco that's it you know we get stuff from all over so I tune and restore and repair accordions part-time and I teach and it's basically the choice of poverty instead of going to work at a situation where it's not music related where you know I could probably make a lot more money and just holding out you know, yeah. making art and scraping by, doing stuff that's still in the yeah. realm of that. Yeah, well, that's I guess that's what I was getting at because to me that's a, that's a you're making a living in music. Yeah, and that's that's frequently that maybe that's even what I'm getting at even more is that when you're making a living in music, sometimes that doesn't mean you're doing one thing. 
you might be doing 10 things. Yeah. You know, and the accordion gigs, the teaching, other stuff. There's, there's other opportunities. Everybody thinks, you know, living on a bus in, in the Hollywood Hills and like being getting money exclusively from your label or from your sales or from your shows. Think of how that's how it goes, but it's not frequently not the case. You have to hustle. You yeah. have to hustle. And the guys that I know who are really successful now, like, you know, on big tours and are making money commercially or whatever, they all had to do the same thing. They all had to hustle and just yeah. run around and wear a lot of hats and or just or just hone their craft yeah. and, and refuse to give up until yeah. they wound up, you know, on the right tour right. or in yeah. like Sean's case, right. you know, he's successful at doing commercial music. He just he refused to stop. Right. You plant a lot of seeds, but you yeah. never know which one's going to grow, you know, to use a funny, like, earth metaphor. How about the rest of you guys? Yeah, I, I, I supplement, yeah, I supplement, you know, my income with, you know, all sorts of, you know, other things too. And I, there's a, a popular um, occupation with working musicians that I've noticed that, that I do, which is, is art moving. Oh yeah, yeah. You and Andy Baker, man, my old drummer. Andy Baker and also Soupy. Soupy Sessa. We yeah. had him on the show. I just worked with him the other day, and uh, that's that's been carrying me. Um, and it it was really hard. I mean, I I basically, you know, not being involved in the um, in the commercial part of of. I mean, I've been in bands that have been signed, but I've I've only made any money like touring and and yeah. from live performance and and you know studio sessions. So, um, yeah, I do many other things I've had to over the years. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. How about you? This is Jinsu. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I did support myself through my twenties and through the nineties as a musician and doing a lot of hustling. And, um, the, what's interesting about it for me is that I ended up having some success and actually have some passive income through the, through the, uh, music publishing so what I ended up doing is I went back to school and I became a psychotherapist. So now I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. So I, I play guitar for fun and I play with people that I want to play with. Um, so I have that as a means of making a living, but I, I was able to uh, make my mark, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I love, I just love hearing everybody's story because every story is so different about how they do this because we all have the same thing in common. We all love music, you know, and if we could all, you know, if it was the way maybe it was in the 60s when like you could start a band anywhere, you know, and rock and roll was in its growth phase, like and somebody would start throwing money at you. And next thing you know, you're on a tour with like six other bands and, you know, and, and it, if worse comes to worse, now you're playing, you know, there's bands like we were talking about Eugene Edwards before, how he does out, he does so many different gigs and he flies out and he goes and plays with like Sean Anna, but it's a gig and he gets paid. You know, it's like people like make fun of bands playing these state fair circuits. But like a lot of these bands, like these 80s bands, 70s bands, like they all have houses and lives and they get to play with their kids all week and then they'll go and they'll fly out and do three shows and then come back and they don't have to work for two weeks or a month or whatever. Yeah, you know, and it's like... It's a work in progress because, you know, for a lot of people, it continues to change. You know, the landscape's changing. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, you know, to supplement my income, you know, I, I got into wine. <laughs> yeah. I met, I met a guy who was a sommelier, and I, I said, hey, I'm, I'm into wine. I want to learn about it. I want to work in wine. So, you know, I studied with this guy, and I got some various jobs working yeah. in the wine industry, you know. Yeah. So. Are, and, 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 well, we all know that musicians and alcohol have very closely related <laughs> fields. You know, but we're all, we're, like I said, we're all in this for me. We love the music. That's why we all do this. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's like a compulsion almost, 
You know, Absolutely. it's like I feel like there were days where in my life where things were going pretty poorly. And I think like I, I almost had times where like I wish I wasn't so obsessed with this. Like I wish I always make the joke like I wish I'd gone to dentistry school. Like I f- wish I felt about dentistry like I feel about, you know, dark side of the moon. Because I, I, then I, I'd have a nice stereo and a nice car and, you know, and I'd have money and like kids would be in college by now. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm mad about my life or sad about my life, but there are times. There I, are times. I just, I, I, I just, I think I realized at an early point in my life that I was just not cut out to do a straight job, like a, like a 40 hour a week desk job. Like I, I, I'm, I'm all down to spend countless hours working. You know, I've, I've went through periods of my life where I spend like 65, 70 hours a week working, but like I want it to be creative work and I want the scenery to be constantly changing. I don't yeah. want to be like in a repeat pattern for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. I think it's probably like how it is for most creative people, I yeah. would imagine. Get your life set up the way you like it instead of the way you feel like it has to be or the way it, it someone tells you it should be or, you know. Exactly. Working for the man. Working for the man. Yeah. All right, so how about one last tune before we got to roll out of here, guys? Sure. What is this going to be? Uh, we're going to do a song from the record called the King of Silence. All right, cool. So I'm Joe Armstrong. As always, you're listening to Independence Day. I love bringing this music. I love bringing you these bands. And tonight I love bringing you Mark Lane. So let's hear this.
Hey, gentlemen, that was fantastic. I love songs in E minor. <laughs> I, I think it's because uh, I think it's because I love G. Like every if if left to my own device, like I actually have to consciously make myself write songs that are not in G, because I just love the way the chords yeah. fit on a guitar, and I love the way like they move around the open strings. There's a lot of open strings in G, and E minor being the relative relative minor of G. Like any song, any minor G is okay by me. I, yeah, I don't know. The, sometimes the way I, or not sometimes, but usually the way I associate music when I hear it, because I, I don't really have a formal training. I, I, I've always just kind of played by ear. I always, I always hear these keys. I always associate them with colors. So they, okay. all, they all have their own hue. So, <laughs> so what were. color is E minor? I, I'm thinking E minor is definitely kind of like a mustard yellow for me. Okay. Yeah. Earth tones. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And it's it's. Uh, Definitely lends its well uh, lends itself well to the kind of uh, film noir aspect of, of uh, yeah you know how I see things yeah and it messes me all up when bands like I, I love Drive By Truckers but they detune a whole step so their E is really a D right and they do a lot they do some stuff a lot of stuff in D minor as a result which should really be E minor so it's like my brain as the musical brain like gets it but it's also kind of once removed and it's like I love them, but it's always a little weird because they play really thick strings to get that same tone with that like slack string kind of thing. Yeah, but it works. But it's always I always feel like it, it lends their music like this extra like haunting kind of. Yeah, thing. I never understood how the, how those band like those really like heavy bands could like oh, detune their really guitars to like C guys. or whatever. Like I, I, I yeah. How do you play like that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I used to see ads in my old rehearsal space. Like that was that's when I first discovered that like that was a style. Right. It was like you know looking for a detuned guitar player, and I was like, what does that mean? It means something totally different to me than it does to them. Exactly. Anyway, so I, you know, you guys have got, as far as I can tell, you've just got one show coming up, correct? You've got something uh, at the Bootleg Theater. Yeah, we have a show booked at the Bootleg Theater. September on the fifth. September. That's a Wednesday night. At, Wednesday night. Uh, what time o'clock. are you playing? Ten. Yeah. Do they charge a cover at the Bootleg? They do. Uh, I believe the cover charge is going to be eight dollars that night. Okay. Yeah. Not too bad. Not, not too. It's deep. a good place to see a band. They've got a big stage in there and decent beer. They have, they do have some decent beers on tap. I, I know you are an aficionado. I am. Um, uh, I think you. I remember talking to you once. You told me you're like an IPA, IPA guy. I'm an IPA freak. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, they definitely got one of those. Um, but yeah, it, it is a really great venue. We just played there uh, uh, at the end of last month, I guess, and um, it was really great. Uh, I feel yeah. like it is a great place to see live music. And the, the scene has shifted. Like I'm trying to wrap this up, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Tex. Like we've got all these guys <laughs> in this room. Like, there was a scene there. Like, I, they still do music there, but there was a scene there about six years ago, which was, like, the richest scene I've been a part of in my life. Yeah, it was certainly a time. I mean, I, I don't know if it'll ever be replicated in that space again. Um, yeah. And I, I still love Tex. I mean, I, I live right by there, so yeah. I, I, I like it because it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a bar that will never be trendy, which yeah. I appreciate, you yeah. know? But, uh, but, yeah, back when you had... Mason booking it, and you had Sam behind the bar. It was just a, a whole cast of characters. You know, Jessica being the cocktail waitress. It was a, it was a really wild crew to be and around. And Andy's wife Holly, Andy yeah. Baker's wife Holly, was and a server Amanda. in there. Amanda. Yeah. Amanda. Still yeah, there, Amanda's still there. Yeah. I miss those days, man. It was nice. I could roll in there any time and get a very big drink for not a whole lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice thing. Yeah. And you guys were playing the Larks at the time, and, and, and Eugene was playing there all the time, yep. and my, my band was playing there all the time. Like, everybody it was, I mean, it felt kind of like a musical family, and I miss that. So yeah. maybe, maybe we can get that going somewhere else. Certainly, certainly open to uh, having a communal vibe in the music scene. I mean, I think you, you kind of need that now. You need people to, to stick together and, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, create uh, scenes together because yeah. otherwise you're just kind of out there like, you know, 
inviting your group of friends yeah. to play, you know. Or, and I, you know, honestly, I don't know. I always felt like we're all on the same team. Yeah. You know, we're all trying to do the same thing. We all love what we do, and it's it's and so much of it is good, you know. So let's keep doing it. So, you know, the guys, I can't thank you enough for coming out tonight, playing some tunes. It's been great to have you here. It's been great to learn about what you're about, what this new record's all about. People can find it on iTunes. It's Mark Lane. It's traditional spelling with Mark with a K, Lane, L-A-N-E, pretty easy. And the website, which is actually marklanemusic.com, pretty cool, matches the record and everything, which is cool. So you've got your whole marketing thing all lined up. <laughs> Unintentionally, <looks> cool. yes. <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. But no, it's simple. You know, Layla yeah. did the artwork on this, right? Sean's... Sean's girl? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty much my concept. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm like not a graphic editor. I'm, I'm kind of retarded yeah. when it comes to that stuff. So she um, helped me kind of implement the design. And, uh, and e- even after we submitted it, there was still more tweaking to do. Right. But, but, yeah, it's it's very simple concept. And uh, I, I think it works well with, with, the, yeah. with the music. So you can find that on iTunes, Mark Lane, also Mark Lane Music, and it shows, always buy music, it shows people it's a great place to support artists. And we're, of course, we're speaking with the lovely Layla Octawan, of course, the yes. lovely and talented. So, again, thanks to Mark Lane and also to Michael, Jinsu, and Joey from his band. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by the uber-cool Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, as always, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>